0: Welcome to Wellversed, where we bring biblical principles of governance to governmental leaders and you. This is the Wellversed podcast. Today uh, we have a very good friend of ours come back, Gary Call. Uh, for those of you that have been with us, you you remember Gary. Uh, he formerly worked as a trade specialist fourth government Correct. and in opposition he traveled extensively working with u.s embassies international business leaders on trade related uh projects and he has tremendous insight with what is happening right now with the globalist world economic uh forum etc gary thank you so much for joining us
1: Hey, it's good to be with you, Mario, and um, it's always a privilege to be involved with the World Prayer Network and to have an opportunity to share. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Why don't you just take some time and just let us know what is happening in the United States, in Israel, globally, and then we'll come back and Jim and I will have some questions for you.
1: All right. A lot going on. Um to begin with, uh, uh, some of the people in uh, your network um, may be aware, others not, that um, I've had the privilege of being a, a board member of Operation Exodus USA since 2013 and, um, and then being on the board of Ebenezer Operation Exodus uh, for the last seven or eight years. And uh, of course, that's an Aliyah ministry. We've been involved in helping Jewish people from around the world make their way back to Israel. And so along those lines, yesterday, I was in contact with our office in Jerusalem, uh, speaking to the lead man there, and uh, we were doing a WhatsApp uh, chat and uh, very informative. Uh, and then after about 25 minutes or so, it abruptly got cut off because the sirens began sounding in the background and uh, our friend had to take cover. Um, and it's it's like that from hour to hour over there right now. Uh, anyway, but uh, among the things that he shared with me, he has a son in the IDF who is among those having to Go and remove bodies from the carnage uh, and and what he saw was just gruesome and um, you know it's had a huge impact on him Um, but the latest was that he had been sent now to the front lines uh, getting ready to go into Gaza. Um, I can't say exactly when that's going to happen um, but um, something that has not been reported in the media Uh, to date that I'm aware of is that many Israeli troops are also being sent to the north uh, because they are expecting a a possible incursion from uh, the north uh, by Hezbollah and they want to be prepared for that. And to put things into perspective, uh, so far Hamas has maybe fired up to 7,000 rockets into Israel. Hezbollah has over 150,000 rockets, sophisticated rockets and missiles that they've gotten from Iran. And so if they get involved in this in a major way, Israel's going to be fighting on two fronts and they have to be ready for that. And so that's why they're sending troops to the north as well. Uh, And then there's also Syria. Uh, We know that there are 10 Iranian generals as of a couple of days ago that have been moved into Syria. This is something that was shared with me yesterday. So they're preparing there. Um, And not only that, but there are Russian advisors in Syria as well. And so if this thing spreads to the north and then uh, into Syria, things could get very dicey very quickly. Of course, we hope that that doesn't happen. Uh, But if it does, I can't help but think about um, the prophecy in Isaiah 17.1. And if I pull that out real quick, it says, See, Damascus will no longer be a city, but will become a heap of ruins. Uh, And that prophecy has not yet been fulfilled. And so you have to wonder, could this be the war that will lead to that? Uh, I don't know. I don't want to speculate. Uh, But like I said, right now, Hezbollah is ready to go. You've got 10 Iranian generals uh, that have moved into Syria. And so the next uh, few days are going to be very uh, critical in this unfolding war. I think one thing is safe to say, uh, this will not be a quick war. It's not going to be like the six-day war. This is going to drag on for some time. Uh, Israel's got a huge task in front of it. going into gaza they've got to be very careful not to step into a a trap there with all the tunnels that hamas has built over the last 10 years um and and then you also have uh the united states that has you know helped really uh, fund uh, not hamas directly per se but a lot of money has gone into uh the palestinian uh budgets and how much of that money is diverted toward Hamas, we can only imagine. Um, So the U.S. is going to be involved in this no matter what. Um, But it could also be involved through acts of terror that come to this country. Um, I saw, and you've probably seen the same statistics, they've been out there the last few days, over 70,000 individuals have come into the U.S. through the southern border From 12 countries that have supported terrorism in the past. And I'm not saying that all of those 70,000 people are potential terrorists, but even if just a fraction of them are, um, it'd be naive to think that we do not have people in the country right now, by the hundreds, if not thousands, who are willing to commit acts of terror in the United States. Thank God that hasn't happened yet. But as this war in Israel drags on, Um, I think we have to be prepared for that uh, possibility. And if that were to happen, how long would it take before the population of the United States becomes much more anti-Jewish, anti-Israel? If uh, people say, gee, you know, none of this would have happened in the United States if it wasn't for Israel, uh, you could see how things could turn very quickly. And I came across this uh, statistic Well, just this morning, uh, I saw something on Fox News, uh, close to 20% of Americans, I think it was 18%, favor uh, the Palestinians over the Israelis in this conflict right now. And um, uh, I think 68% stand with Israel, but still almost 20% of the country, almost one in five people uh, is uh, with the Palestinian cause in all of this. Uh, But another statistic I came across just a couple of days ago, and this uh, shocked me. Uh, This had to do with uh, Democrats, the sympathies of Democrats in the United States. And this was a Gallup poll that was taken in February of this year. And um, it revealed that 49% of Democrats favor the Palestinians, 38% favor Israelis, Now, this was prior to the war. So with what has happened, I imagine that has shifted some. But still, prior to this war, 49% of Democrats favoring uh, the Palestinians over Israelis. Now, compare that to the same poll taken 10 years earlier in January of 2013. 19% of Democrats favor the Palestinians. 55% favored the Israelis. So in 10 years' time, there's been a huge shift against Israel in this country, especially within the Democratic Party. And so maybe that's been put on hold right now, but you give it a couple of weeks and that could change again, especially if there are acts of terror committed uh, within the United States. So all that to say, if suddenly uh, there are hostilities in this country that go through the roof against the Jewish people, uh, we would at that time probably see the beginning of a massive outflow of jews from the united states trying to get out of the country and and back to israel a massive alia and i know in uh, operation exodus we are preparing for that possibility um i personally believe this is my personal opinion uh that if that happens uh i think uh you will see a lot of jewish people exiting the United States through our southern boundaries and uh, through Mexico, the Gulf of Mexico, Florida, the Southeast, because I think it's going to be very difficult to get out through the Northeast, uh, because I think that's going to be where some of the principal targets might be if there, heaven forbid, are acts of of terror committed in the country. But nonetheless, uh, we need to be prepared uh, for these uh, possibilities. Um, Now, people might be thinking, What's this really all about? Why these acts of terror now? Why this this buildup and this growing hatred globally uh, for the Jewish people? And uh, in my book, "In Root to Global Occupation," which came out 32 years ago this month, uh, later this month, um, I had in there a quote from decades ago by a powerful leader of arguably the most influential secret society in the world of his day. And I just want to share this lengthy quote with you because it really shows how demonic uh, this move toward globalization ultimately is and how these people will stop short of nothing uh, to try to bring in their new world order. Uh, This individual described a distant war that he believed would be necessary to finally set the stage for humanity to embrace a new world order a global governing system and before i read it i want to make clear that when the word nihilist is mentioned here it's really a reference to terrorist Uh, the term terrorist is is fairly recent Uh, as i recall i didn't hear it prior to the late 70s that was when we had the iranian hostage crisis and that's really when the term terrorism or terrorist came into being in a major way. So when I mention nihilist here, you can translate that as meaning terrorist. Okay, so here's the quote. He said, we shall unleash the nihilists and the atheists, and we shall provoke a great social cataclysm, which in all its horror will show clearly to all nations the effect of absolute atheism, the origin of savagery, and of most bloody turmoil. Then everywhere, the people, forced to defend themselves against the world minority of revolutionaries, will exterminate those destroyers of civilization. And the multitudes, disillusioned with Christianity whose deistic spirits will be from that moment on without direction and leadership, anxious for an ideal but without knowledge where to send their adoration, will receive the true light through the universal manifestation of the pure doctrine of Lucifer brought finally out into public view, a manifestation which will result from a general reactionary movement which will follow the destruction of Christianity and atheism, both conquered and exterminated at the same time. End quote. So in other words, the goal here years ago was to eventually have a type of global war starting out in the Middle East through acts of terror and then expanding and being used to absolutely terrify the people of the world and bring them to their knees, thinking this is it. The world's going to destroy itself. And then through this to offer up a global system of government in the name of world peace. Uh, that will prevent future wars from taking place. And if you think about it, uh, World War I led eventually to the forming of the League of Nations, the first step in the direction of global government. The Second World War, of course, led to the forming of the United Nations, which is a form of, a, it's a shell of a global government, but without the power that it, it wants to have. So in a way, it would make sense that a third major global conflict would set the stage for a full-blown global government uh, uh, system, and what I am what I am suggesting is that it is possible that what we are beginning to see unfolding right now may be intended to lead us uh, to that step. And, Gary, yes. Gary,
0: if if I may, because we we do want to hear about the World Economic Forum and the Who focus uh, our questions first on what's happening right now in israel and then Go right ahead include on the uh how you see things from a global perspective number one the intelligence breach we are now finding out that there they were warned back in april that iran was planning something like this and that egypt uh warned israel three days before was there an internal sabotage call to stand down? How can, with Israel's military intelligence, how can anyone explain the failure?
1: Yeah, and especially when you have uh, Hamas coming in through 60 different uh, entries. Uh, It wasn't just one or two places they came through. They came through all over. It's difficult to imagine that uh, at least some intelligence didn't see that coming. Um, I believe one possibility is I personally see Benjamin Netanyahu in Israel in a very similar position as Donald Trump in this country. Um, I believe the New World Order crowd, the deep state hates both of them. And unfortunately, there are those in Israel in key positions of influence also that are globalists. That would be part of what we would call the deep state. And so it's not inconceivable to think that um, some of the higher ups in Israel's intelligence community or perhaps generals um, allowed this to take place to make Benjamin Netanyahu look responsible and to cast him in a really bad light. That look, this happened on his watch to try to remove him from power and put someone else in who's much more left-leaning and a globalist, whereas Netanyahu historically has been a, a great defender of Israel's national sovereignty, just like Trump has been over here. So, you know, I think more will come out in the days ahead, but I think that's a possibility. And, you know, you hate to think the worst of people, but we know that these people exist. They exist in this country as well. They're trying to condition and prepare the people of the United States and also of Israel to enter into this global system of of government. And that means they have to remove strong defenders of uh, a nation's national sovereignty. And that would include um, Benjamin Netanyahu. So that's, those are my Uh, cents
0: worth. Okay. Um, We know that the Biden administration's policy, weakness, policy of appeasement, um 60 billion dollars uh um that now uh Iran has from uh oil uh, production because of the lifting of sanctions and the recent 6 billion dollars that 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 uh was agreed to be released brought brought this about what how do what do we make of Biden's uh coming to Jesus moment that he's now uh, protecting Israel and covering Israel's back? Can we trust that?
1: Well, I, I think we all know that Biden isn't his own person. He's got handlers who script out much of, of what he has done, including the whole Iran situation. Uh, I mean, anyone with any common sense knew that when uh, we lifted the sanctions on Iran and made it possible for for them to Uh, Eventually gain a nuclear bomb. I believe they're very close to that right now, if they don't already have it. Um, That and and Iran being a huge backer, the world's number one backer financially of of terrorism, Uh, you know, 93 percent of Hamas's budget. Comes from Iran, they wouldn't exist without Iran and uh, I believe 70% of their arms budget. Uh, I've I've heard both of those statistics in the last two days. So it's a majority regardless. Um, The U.S. knows that. Our intelligence knew that. So then why move forward with Iran in the way that the U.S. has, that this administration has, um, unless they actually wanted to create the tension that now exists for the very reasons that I've already shared to set the stage for this coming uh, global system. And I know that sounds very dark, um, but when you look at what these people have already done and how they've manipulated things in this country, um, you know, I wouldn't put anything past them. So how much Biden actually knows, I I, I don't know. I, I think um, he may genuinely be concerned about the Jewish people in Israel, having seen the atrocities that happened. Um, But if so, you know, again, how long will that last? Historically, uh, when Israel gets attacked, the U.S. allows Israel to move forward for two or three weeks at most, and then they intervene, and they never let Israel finish the job. And so that's why we keep having these ongoing rounds. And so it wouldn't surprise me if that happens again, Hopefully it will be different this time. But unless Israel is able to go in and just wipe out Hamas, you know, not, not far down the road, the same thing is going to happen again. And then you have Hezbollah in the north and and uh, uh, the buildup in, in, in Syria. So we have to allow Israel to deal with the situation and we need to remain on Israel's side. Um, so i mean i only god knows what really is going through biden's mind but just the overall trend and and what we've done to help support countries and groups that support terrorism it doesn't make any logical sense whatsoever
0: okay yeah and i meant the Biden administration so overall it could be the globalists interest in causing a world war three out of the middle east it's worth looking like we're supporting israel temporarily to throw um the world into this chaos would be a greater benefit for them and the fact that they're supporting israel and they don't want to is it's worth the rest so, uh, my last question and then we'll, uh, it over to jim um biden's uh, also coming to jesus moment that we need a border I, I was told that 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 happened around the time that the iranian spy ring was exposed and the leak came about the seventy thousand potential terrorists that came in can you expound on on that and do you think something could could happen with the threats of jihadist sleeper cells being activated here in the united states
1: Yeah, I I think um, the call by Biden for a few miles of the border wall uh, now, just to set it straight, he's not calling for an all out border wall like what Trump was pursuing, uh, but just a few miles. But I think much of that came about because uh, Democratic members of the House of Representatives that represent the areas along the border, they've been taking a lot of heat. From people saying, look, this is ridiculous. Our communities are being overrun. They're feeling the heat. And so part of this, I think, is to help them out along the border states to make it appear that the administration is actually doing something. Uh, But, you know, they've done virtually nothing so far. I mean, we've had an open border for all practical purposes. And those 70,000 that have come across, that's just what we know of. So it's probably more than that. You know, for every one that we know of, there may be two or three uh, additional ones coming across. I I personally believe there are uh, sleeper cells in this country. Um, And I think they're waiting for just the right moment, some type of go ahead uh, to launch something. Um, So we have to be prepared for that. Um, That's just that's just a fact. That's not being uh, pessimistic. Uh, I believe if if you look at, at, at Jesus' life on this earth, he wasn't an optimist. He wasn't a pessimist. He was a realist. He saw things the way they really were, the truth. And I think that's what we need to be seeking right now. What is the real situation in this country right now? And, you know, we can go on living our lives pretending as if nothing has happened. But the fact is, we've got thousands of potential terrorists in this country. And at some point, they're likely to spring something on us. And this, you know, unfolding war in the Middle East will provide, I think, an opportunity for them to do something in the in the days ahead. And we've got to be ready for that. Yeah. Jim.
2: Mario, you used the word twice, so the phrase Biden had a coming to Jesus moment. I only wish that were the case, sir. I think that's what our prayer ought to be, Lord. May Biden come to Jesus. Mario, perhaps you were speaking prophetically. Your, your faith is greater than mine right now. We, we do pray for that. We seriously pray for that. I, I have a question, Gary. You're not going to like it. So fasten your seat, Bill. I'm going to ask you to prognosticate. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm not asking for a prophecy. So we're not going to tie you to this. Um, it's simply, I want you to take biblical prophecy and then global events as you now see them, given what we're in right now, this is, this is a very significant moment. We just all don't know how significant it may turn out to be, but if you would prognosticate for me, take this, expand the potential of what could happen here and what I'm fishing for is to see if you can somehow get me to Armageddon and Gog and Magog. Uh, give me some sensing of how this could possibly play out. We're not making predictions. This is not a prophecy. This just is a what if kind of scenario. Can you, can you walk me through both in uh, geopolitics and in biblical prophecy and walk me through what we could potentially uh, experience here.
1: Yeah, I think,
2: um, well,
1: you know, people have been talking about this a lot the last few days. I'm sure you've heard the same things that I have. Some believe this is the beginning of the Psalm 83 war. Others, um, uh, the war of Ezekiel 38, 39. Um, I believe from a geopolitical standpoint, this has, at the very least, the potential of being a major regional conflict. The biggest we've seen uh, since 73, uh, and on a scale bigger than that, because the, the weapons now that Iran is providing are much more sophisticated. So we're looking at much greater loss of life in Israel, unfortunately. And we've already seen that through what's happened. Um, if If Syria and Israel get into it, that could drag Russia into it. Then it would go from a regional conflict into at that point. Uh, I think you'd see World War uh, Three. The war in Ukraine and Russia uh, has threatened to expand as it is on its own. And you factor in um, uh, the, the fact that uh, Russian advisors are in Syria. Syria is an ally of of Russia. Um, both Russia and Syria are getting weapons, uh, drones from Iran, and so you can see how all this could connect together and and become uh, World War III. The United States will be involved. We're already involved in, in Ukraine, providing about 60% of the support there. So we're in a proxy war with Russia already through Ukraine. And and so now we've got ships in, in uh, the Mediterranean, uh, off the coast, um, trying to send a signal to Hezbollah in Iran. And, and so this could escalate very quickly. What I can tell you, I believe for certain, is that this is not uh, or will not be Armageddon. Um, and I'm afraid that some people may view this, and even in the media talking heads, I wouldn't be surprised if a few weeks out from now, as, as this thing escalates, that people will start throwing around the term Armageddon. And that could be dangerous for this reason. What happens at Armageddon? The Armageddon prophesied in Scripture. Christ returns, right? And he defeats the armies of the Antichrist. But it's tied into the second coming of, of Christ. Now, what if people mistakenly begin to believe that this battle is Armageddon? Then that means the next thing that they would expect is the coming of Christ. Could that potentially set the stage for the Antichrist to step on the scene as a type of global messiah figure, uh, bringing peace to the world after World War III, and then people going for that and falling for that? And possibly uh, he could be a figure that unites the world's religions, saying he's uh, the messiah to the Jews, the second coming to Christ, and the Imam Mahdi to the Muslims. I'm not saying that's going to happen, but I'm saying that's that's a potential. If people believe that this unfolding battle becomes Armageddon, uh, if they may, make that jump prophetically, that it could cause them to mistake uh, 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 the return of Christ or the Antichrist for the return of Christ um, based on Scripture. There's going to be a global system of, of government, you know, according to Revelation 13 and 14, and the Antichrist is going to rule over that for a period of time. It's only after that, at the end of that, to put a stop to that, that Jesus returns, and that's when the Battle of Armageddon takes place. So it's important we see the sequence of events as they line up and that we are not uh, uh, misled on that. And that's very important.
2: Okay, I'm going to ask the same question again. And have you just lay out a timeline? Here's the background to my question, so you'll understand. I'm not asking it out of a vacuum, nor am I trying to entrap you in any way. Uh, I I grew up at a time. I suspect I'm a bit older than you, when pastors, preachers, traveling preachers would come through town and roll out the long charts. And 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 then by the time I was in grad school and seminary, my generation tend to be. A bit disrespectful of those mock almost mocking of those uh the classic statement was hey once i can understand first john then i'll worry about the book of revelation that was the language that got used and so it was very dismissive so in my generation very few um were preaching uh, on the sequence of events that unfold at the end and most people say ah you know I, i'm a pan millennial pan out all I'll, I'll right those, those kind of statements and jokes we thrown around. We were dismissive of it. Now, here's the context of my question. <laughs> my, my daughter, my youngest daughter, is suddenly asking me lots of questions on this. So I'm going over to her house tonight. And, and I, we've been texting backwards. Well, Dan, what about this? What about this? What's this happening? What's this? She's asking all these very rudimentary questions. I said to her, you've heard your daddy preach 1,000 sermons over the years. I-, I-, I don't know if you were exactly listening or not. But I'm going to go over there tonight. I'm going to kind of go at a a very basic level and walk through things. So I'm asking you to help me prepare for tonight. (laughs) And for people listening right now who have the same question my daughter does, and for that matter, the question we all have, assuming this could be the buildup to Armageddon, let's take the other flip side. You feel it is not, and for probably good reason, and you're probably right let's assume that things could escalate much more rapidly than we think much more intense much more global and in fact this could be uh armageddon were that to occur and i'm not asking you to commit yourself to believe that is going to occur but were such a thing to occur hypothetically walk me through this 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 for the sake of our viewers and and quite frankly you're helping me out from my conversation with my daughter tonight which i'm going to be having because i walk her and her little family through these kind of things. But help help people understand a potential of a sequencing here. Uh, and I'll let you off the hook with not asking a, a, again, I promise, but if you can just kind of give us a, what what could be a scenario that could happen.
1: Okay, well, I was prepared, I'm not gonna do it right this moment, but I was prepared to share with you about three very important meetings uh, that are scheduled to take place in the next 11 months, between now and next September, involving the United Nations. And if all of these meetings take place and the things that are proposed to be ratified are in fact ratified and implemented, the stage will be completely set for a world governance system uh, by next September. Is that not
2: World Health Organization?
1: All of that. That and the Summit of the Future being planned for next September and also COP28 uh, beginning on November 30th of this year uh, through December 12th. It's going to be in the UAE. And you're going to have all the major countries of the world represented there under the the auspices of the UN. Uh, Israel, as of two weeks ago was planning to send a huge delegation there. It's quite an honor for them to be invited by an Arab country to participate in this. And I believe that's a trap for Israel. So I'm hoping that, you know, much of this comes out between now because all of this is intended to move the countries of the world uh, toward world government, to set the stage for that. So these three meetings are coming up, and I can go into much more detail on those uh, uh, later on if you'd like for me to uh, to do so. But that gives us a bit of a timeline. That means between now and two-thirds of the way through 2024, the stage is going to be set, if these individuals have their way. And that is to launch, uh, actually, COP28 this November and December. Uh, They've already stated that is to launch a final seven-year push leading up to 2030 to have the New World Order fully implemented by 2030. And they have said that repeatedly. I can document that backwards and forwards. The World Economic Forum has stated that. Uh, you've got stuff coming out of the World Health Organization, the COP28 crowd. I have actual quotes uh, from the UN Secretary General along those lines, and I can share those if you'd like. So there's that- one second. C C O P H. That stands for what? Uh, Conference of the Parties. It represents the 28th uh, meeting, uh, the Conference of the Parties regarding the global climate change movement, and um, a very important meeting. And again, that's coming up later uh, this year. It's just around the corner. So uh, I look at that as somewhat of a timeline. It tells me they want to kick things into full gear uh, later this year, especially into 2024 and have everything in place by twenty thirty. If they have their way. Again, I'm not setting dates here. I'm just saying this is what they have planned. And I think it's helpful for for us to know what your leading globalists have have planned. So three that, meetings, one more time the
2: three meetings, one is the uh C O P A twenty eight November, which starts November thirtieth. And is the other one, uh, who, help World Health Organization? Yes, the International uh,
1: Pandemic
2: uh, Treaty Meeting, as
1: I'm calling it, in Geneva, Switzerland in May, where they hope to ratify and implement that global health treaty that Michelle Bachman has done an excellent job covering that. Right. And I'm completely supportive of everything she has said. She's, she's on it. And then in September is the Summit of the Future it's being called and that is to be the capstone event to seal the deal all the way around. And um, that doesn't mean everything will be in place. That's just, that means the final infrastructure will be in place, but then how do they sell this to the people of the world and get the people of the world to go along with it all? You'd know, you have to have some type of major financial crisis because they wanna bring in um, uh, a cashless system and so something has to happen to the old system to justify them introducing a whole new uh, system on that front. Um, and then uh, you've got the all the climate change hoopla. It, it has to appear as if the sky is falling on that front so that people are willing to embrace major changes in the, in the name of solving the environmental crisis. And then if you throw in a potential pandemic into the mix, uh, you know, then you've got a, a triple threat and 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 then this war now that's unfolding, the timing of this is quite interesting. So if you're a, a leading globalist and you want to set the stage for a completely different world order that would give control to the globalists and get people to relinquish their national sovereignty then you have to have absolute chaos on every front. Everything has to appear as if it's spinning out of control. Otherwise, why would people be willing to embrace something completely different and new in the name of solving all of these problems? Gary, if I can interject
0: as you continue just on this point, do you feel... Uh, here from our grid in the United States that some of this needs to uh, the Democrats feel some of this needs to be triggered before the election or they're pretty secure that they're going to stay in power and they can take some time post our 24 election uh, continue as an administration does some of this need to be triggered to make sure um, that there's no Donald Trump doesn't come back into office for example
1: well, that's the million dollar question. I think they would I think they would like to trigger this before the elections. Just seeing where things are trending right now and the condition of of, of Biden, um, you know, but only God knows the answer to that. I, I don't know how much will they really be able to bring about between now and then. Now, I'll tell you an interesting uh, story. I may have shared this with you already, if I have, forgive me, but I. Um, Back about a year and a half ago in the spring, early spring of 2022, um, I did a program with Curtis Bowers and the next day, I got a call um, from Curtis asking for permission to give my phone number to a, a gentleman who had heard the program and contacted him afterwards and said, is there any way I could talk to Gary? It's really important. And so I gave Curtis permission. And so the next day, this gentleman uh, contacted me, and we, we talked for close to an hour. And I'm not going to reveal his name for obvious reasons, but he uh, is a very large rancher has a, a very strong um, presence. Um, he inadvertently became involved in the environmental movement uh, a few years back, not realizing at that time that it's basically part and parcel uh, with the globalist One World movement. Uh, but as he began to discover that, he he played along and, and continued on. And uh, a mentor of his uh happens to be a gentleman pretty high up in the World Economic Forum. And so just a month or so before our phone conversation, so this would have been early in 2022, my new friend posed the question uh, over lunch of this mentor of his in the World Economic Forum. He said, you know, as quickly as things are moving right now, uh, do you suppose that the great reset could take place even yet this year? And he had barely gotten the words out of his mouth. And the man said, 2024, 2024, just emphatically, with with certainty, as if he knew something. And uh, so this gentleman who contacted me wanted me to be aware of that, that already in 2022, they were planning something big in 2024 involving global government. And we know now these meetings that are being planned, and now we have this war brewing in the Middle East that will likely expand. So it looks right now as if things potentially could come together in a significant way next year uh, to serve as a launching pad for uh, this global system. So I think they at least want to get as much done as possible while Biden is in. But if it looks as if he's going to lose the election, then who knows what they'll try to precipitate uh, before then. One thing I I hope and pray doesn't happen is that we have major acts of terrorism in this country and then the current administration declares martial law. If that happens, all bets are off because our freedoms would go out the window. Uh, Suddenly Christians, uh, politically conservative Jews would have to operate underground because we become those who they pursue uh, because this is a demonic agenda ultimately and you know the quote i read earlier makes that uh, plain as day uh this is being spiritually driven uh spiritually as in and demonically and so the problem these people have had though is in the united states you probably have a good 20 percent of people now that have uh, an idea of what is going on and they don't like what they're seeing. They realize something is wrong. Whereas 30 years ago when my book came out, you had maybe three or 4% of the U.S. population having any clue what was going on. So there is an awakening taking place. So the globalists now, they have a race against the clock because get, if if they wait too much longer, you're going to have 30, maybe 40% of Americans uh, awaken to what's happening and willing to push back and fight on this. And that will make it much more difficult for them to accomplish their agenda. So the next 12 to 18 months are vitally important. And I think if people realize what's at stake, we'd all be on our knees every day crying out to the Lord, both for wisdom uh, and discernment to know how to move forward and and specifically what each of us as individuals ought to be doing right now regarding all of this.
2: Gary, you were on a little bit of a roll there when you talked about so the sky is falling, there's the climate, there's the pandemic, the need for the financial crisis, and now the war. And if you're a globalist, you need, you need this chaos, and you were kind of on a roll right there. Are you able to pick it up right there and walk on through that scenario, potential scenario, I need to say, of what could unfold?
1: All right, let, let me, this would be a good place, I think, to go into a little bit more detail on these meetings to show you the approach that they're going to take, if I may. Um, And again, the COP28 meeting officially, it's called COP28, the 2023 UN Climate Change Conference. Uh, Again, later this year, it's going to take place in the UAE. The Sultan Ahmed Al-Jabir, the Minister of Industry and Advanced Technology and the UAE Special Envoy for Climate Change has been appointed as the COP28 president designate. So he's gonna be in charge of this meeting. In a letter to the parties dated July of this year, uh, he announced that COP28 will focus on several paradigm shifts. Uh, Two of them include fast tracking the energy transition and slashing emissions before 2030. There's that term again, this is a direct quote from them. They're on this timetable. Secondly, transforming climate finance by delivering on old promises and setting the framework for a new deal on finance. This also is important because they have to get the third world countries and the emerging countries on board with this. And by re-di- redistributing, re- redistributing the world's income and sending a lot of money from the West to the poor nations of the world to help them come up to speed regarding climate change. They hope to make that so attractive that the third world countries will come on board. So they've got a plan to get every country involved in, in all of this. Also, even though COP28 will be held in the United Arab Emirates, the United Kingdom is expected to have a significant say in matters. Unbeknownst to most people, King Charles is viewed as the de facto leader of the global environmental movement and has been for years. That may come as a shock to some. Uh, many people haven't taken him seriously, but he was there right from the beginning from the Rio de Janeiro Earth Summit back in the early 90s, along with uh, uh, Gorbachev, Stephen Rockefeller, Maurice Strong, and, and, and a couple of others. Um, so he he's playing a very active role at these meetings. And he also has access to a lot of money that he can influence and trigger things through. So we need to be aware of that. Also Pope Francis has come into a close alliance with those at the forefront of this movement, including Charles. Um, And at this point, it might be good to mention um, regarding what, what the Pope is doing also in the United Arab Emirates. Um, He has been involved in the Abrahamic family house, which opened up in February, and on that complex in Abu Dhabi, you have an Islamic mosque, a Jewish synagogue, and a Christian church, and a type of convention center. This is to be an interfaith center intended to unite the religions of the world. And the Pope has been in the middle of all of that, overseeing that, along with Ahmed al taib an Islamic cleric uh, from Egypt. Um, now, to tie this in with COP28, because that meeting is going to be in, in Dubai, just a few miles away from where this interfaith center is in Abu Dhabi. Listen to this. A new interfaith partnership with the United Nations Environment Program has been announced, initiated by the Muslim Council of Elders in consultation with the Vatican. The goal, to work with the United Nations Environmental Program's Faith for Earth Coalition, the actual name of this effort, in bringing a stronger interfaith perspective to the United Nations COP28 Climate Summit later this year, to be held in Dubai. To that end, on May 29th, Pope Francis met with the Secretary General of the Muslim Council and the Director General of the UAE Presidency. According to the Vatican News Service, quote, they shared the possibility of launching a joint initiative on climate change, end quote. They continued, I quote, the initiative discussed in the Vatican, explained Vatican News, will call on all religious institutions, leaders, and civil society organizations worldwide to unite towards achieving the shared goal of protecting the Earth, our common home." End quote. So they have a plan to draw all the top religious leaders of the world into this climate change agenda at the UAE at COP28 later this year. This is all intentional. And the Pope is already involved in this, as are a number of other global religious leaders. So uh, don't underestimate the, the importance of this upcoming meeting in November and, and December. And I'm curious to see how the media is going to cover this, if they're gonna talk about any of this or else will much of it be going on behind uh, the scenes. We'll have to wait and see. The other conference I wanna touch on um, has to do with the summit of the future in September of of 2024. Uh, This is where member nations of the UN are expected to adopt a pact for the future. That includes numerous radical uh, proposals that are gonna be a part of this agenda. Uh, The biggest part of it has to do with the UN gaining emergency powers. They wanna have emergency powers on a global scale to implement things if there's an emergency situation. Um, If there are global shocks, as they are calling them, such as another worldwide pandemic, the UN website admits that one of the purposes of that summit is to, and I quote, to put in place a stronger international response playbook for complex global shocks, maximizing the use of the Secretary General's convening power in the form of an emergency platform, end quote. That's straight off their website. And again, if this materializes, it would give the UN unprecedented emergency powers on a global scale. Many of the details of the UN sought after emergency platform were first presented last March in a policy paper. That policy paper is titled, and I just wanna document this, it's a lengthy title, but it's called Strengthening the International Response to Complex Global Shocks. Dash, an emergency platform. Okay, so that's the name of this paper. This policy paper gives several examples of what could extend emergency authority to the UN. The list includes a major climate event, future pandemic developments, a global digital connectivity disruption. And by that, I assume they mean like a cyber attack or EMP strike, a major event in outer space, among other unforeseen risks. In other words, it could be just about anything they could use to declare a global emergency and then suspend uh, the powers of national, excuse me, national governments and implement uh, their, their agenda. In this paper, UN Secretary General Guterres declares, and I quote him directly now. He says, I propose that the General Assembly provide the Secretary General and the United Nations system with a standing authority to convene and operationalize automatically an emergency platform in the event of a future complex shock of sufficient scale, severity, and reach, end quote. This, it is explained, would give the UN the ability to, quote, drive an international response, end quote, that would bring the stakeholders of the world together to ensure a unified global response to the crisis. So, and then once enacted, the UN could extend its emergency powers for as long as it deems necessary. In other words, indefinitely. So again, this is being planned for next September. So if all of this goes through, we could be living in a completely different world one year from now. Uh, Hopefully, things don't unfold as rapidly as these individuals want to see them happen, Uh, but we can't rule out that possibility. Now, the the third meeting that I want to touch on is the Global Pandemic uh, Treaty. Uh, Michelle has already uh, touched a lot on this, Um, and I, I just want to reiterate the fact that she said Uh, that according to her experience at the 76th World Health Assembly meeting this last May, uh, she learned that um, they want to bring in uh, a personal QR code for people that will be assigned to every person and will be part of one's digital ID. And ultimately, you'll need a digital ID to do about anything. And so again, they want to get into a cashless system where everything is computerized And that way they can cut off your financial spigot if you don't do what they want you to do. So this is gonna stretch down to the very personal level if these people uh, have their way. So that's a summary. And there are a lot of other meetings being planned as well, but of of lesser significance uh, than these uh, three. And again, this pandemic pandemic, uh, treaty meeting of the World Health Assembly that's going to be in May in Geneva Switzerland
2: I know we're we're out of time I I really appreciate your answering so thoroughly uh, my my question I really appreciate that we've been trying to keep up with the World Health Organization meetings and we've interviewed Jim Jim Rogowski James Rogowski Roguski rather, and Michelle and uh I well, uh, forget the doctor's Name that we interviewed as well on this. Uh, so thank you so much. I'll turn it back. Yes. To,
1: to can I can I just very quickly wrap up on a on a positive note, giving a little bit of hope here? Yes. I um, first, I want to urge people to pray against martial law being invoked in this country if there are acts of terror, because that changes everything, and it would happen very quickly. So something that we can pray into. Uh, secondly, we need to be prepared spiritually. As well as physically to the best extent possible. Um, Spiritually, we need to be walking closer with the Lord than ever before, walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. And uh, a favorite passage of mine is from Nahum 1 7. I have it sitting on my desk. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knoweth them that trust in him. The Lord will lead us during difficult times. Um, So we need to be walking closely with him. Also, making whatever physical preparations we can if the power grid goes down. Now is the time to make those preparations. And on on my website, GaryCodd.org, we have a list of items that people may consider prayerfully uh, obtaining in order to be ready. Also, number three, be proactive politically, prayerfully and selectively. Contact your sheriff, your state's attorney general, your state reps and your federal reps. Uh, regarding some of these developments, and why prayerfully and selectively? If you know that these individuals are on the other side pushing this agenda, we don't want to cast our pearls before swine, so to speak. You don't want to give them information as to where you stand on this. But as the Holy Spirit leads, get this information out to your elected officials that you believe have an open mind. I personally have been telling my friends, send them Michelle Bachmann's presentations covering her coverage of the pandemic treaty. Because here you have a credible former congresswoman who is there on-site reporting on this. And at our website, in uh, in my article uh, that I just wrote, No No Longer a Republic, uh, we have that link embedded in that article. So you can click on that, and also the article prior to that. Get Michelle's presentations out there because they speak for themselves. And finally, Uh, remember the hope that we have through our Lord Jesus Christ. First of all, we have the eternal hope. That's our biggest hope, that no matter what happens, if we lose our lives, taking a stand for the truth, we will be with the Lord for all eternity. And, you know, 11 of the disciples died a martyr's death, and they were joyful to the very end. With the certainty of Christ, we can face anything. He will give us the strength to do so. Then in addition to that, we have the hope of his second coming. There's a bottom line drawn across history. These evil doings will not continue indefinitely. Christ will return. He will intervene. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8 makes it very clear. He will overthrow the lawless one with the breath of his mouth and destroy him by the splendor of his coming. It won't even be a contest. So we have that assurance as well uh, for those of us who live to see that, that day come. So I just wanted to end on a positive note because this is a lot of heavy information. We need to be aware of it, but we need to remember that we are on the on the right side of this. We are warriors for truth. And we have the Lord
2: on our side, and we can't forget that. Yeah, and scripturally, that word hope doesn't mean, oh, I hope so. It means a confident assurance. What exactly. it means scripturally. So thank you for ending with that confidence assurance in Christ. Thank you for, uh, thank you for taking care of my very elongated questions as well you're welcome Mario.
0: yeah no thank you so much uh it's always uh, tremendous to have all the wealth of information that you have uh, for our people
1: god bless you thank you glory to god